She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. And I figure this out right in front of the bank representative that I just... And I haven't been treating very well because I've been super annoyed. And like they just undid the whole ATM. And now I realize my wallet or it's right where it should be. What a douchebag. And then just like, oh, I was so embarrassed. I, I just apologized and walked out. My face went red. And I was just like, man, just kill me. Kill me now. If you're traveling, I mean, the whole country can't be, you know, just just one cesspool of <laughs> robbers and murders. But but that's how it often sounds like when when you tell right? people. Yeah. And then I looked at a map, the U.S. advisory system, mm-hmm. and Guatemala was either I think Guatemala was on the same level as France. Yeah. And it's like, but no one tells me not to go to France. Yeah. It's... And, and and of course, there's the old argument. It's like, well, the most dangerous place to go might be the U.S. foundational thing of our culture is disliking everything about our government and friends. Do you do do a Pledge of Allegiance? No. In school? No. So weird. It's so weird if you think about it. Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Like this whole thing that that we do as kids. In France, like from my culture, I see that. I'm like, whoa, fucking brainwashing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's a very exciting moment because we've got a new review. New review. Hey, yo. Okay. (laughs) Can I read it? You can read it. All right. This is coming from Emily Saldea, and she gave us a five-star review. Emily Saldea is the host of the Freebird Society podcast. She is a model and someone I look up to, and I'm very, very excited to say that she left us a review. But Julie Roxanne was basically starstruck. Uh, uh, yeah, he told me, and I was like, what? She, no, that's she, You not lost awesome. your shit for a little while after Just this. a little bit. And he told me to stay cool on the podcast, so I'm trying to do right now. She, <laughs> <laughs> she, the title of the review is So Good, and she says... Such a great podcast, a definite must listen to. I cannot believe that she left us a review. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you, Emily. to have you here. I'm a simple man, don't want a complication. Well, hello, beautiful people, and welcome to a brand new episode of Far Out Podcasts. Hey there, good to see you. Alistair is always a lot quieter than me on these intros. I hope you don't think it's because he's not excited, because he is. He I'm is. excited. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. I'm excited you're here. I'm just excited. Uh, this week we're talking about culture shock. Yeah, it's a kind of wide-ranging, rambling conversation. It goes in a lot of different places, and we share a lot of different stories about travel, so it should be fun. Yes, we enjoyed it, and we hope you will, too. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Hey, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Alistair. Hi, whenever it is for you in the day. Hi. Hello, Julie Roxanne. Hello, beautiful listener. Ooh. It's great to have you here. It's nice. We have a fun episode for you today. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but before that... We my, wanted to give an update on yeah. what's been going on. It's been kind of a crazy week because uh, <laughs> my parents just left yesterday. They came and visited us. And yeah. that was a lot of fun. Yeah. We ended up nerding out. This is actually your idea, Julie Roxanne. And it turned out to be really fun. Thank you. We, I, uh, I, I, looked, I liked it. We explored the MBTI typology each night, or at, at least four different nights. And each night we spent on one person. Yeah. So, like, we figured out everyone's type. We knew ours, but we didn't know my parents. And that was actually really interesting. My dad's an INTP and my mom's a ISFJ. Yeah. And um, they didn't know anything about MBTI. Or my dad had encountered it at work. Yeah. But that's a really, this is a very different version of MBTI and yeah. I think much more interesting than whatever you'll find at work. And so we would spend a couple hours every night, usually over gin and tonics, <laughs> <laughs> reading. Like we'd read kind of the overview and then we'd read their inferior functions. So like this, this isn't really, it kind of translates to weaknesses, but that's not exactly accurate. But yeah. And then uh, we'd read their strengths and have some really interesting conversations. Like, we'd be like, yeah, that's kind of like you when you did this. Or, yeah, oh, was... yeah, you were like that back in the... And so we had these... It ended up taking us a lot of interesting places. Yeah, that was that was so fun. And it was, like, such a fun uh, activity for getting to know one another. Like, we discovered things. I, I think we had another idea of the type your dad might be. And that's been really, really cool to, to get to know him. And there's something that happens yeah. when you realize that some of... Of what you thought were personal flaws in a person like yeah. your dad turn out just to be like it's not really any different but you read it in the typology and you're like oh okay this is just this is a character <laughs> characteristic of this type it's not just my dad my dad is not just you know this way it's not just him and there's something therapeutic about that yeah. you know it's like Definitely. oh okay this is bigger than that Definitely. it's just yeah, I've had yeah. the same thing happen with my mom. I was like, oh, my God, this entire time I was trying to tell you to do differently and you can't. Yeah, you actually yeah. just can't. And when you understand it by the parallel of your own, like because we all have these inferior functions or weaknesses or blind spots. Yeah. So if you understand your own and you can see that, you can start to understand uh, other people's, even yeah. if you don't you have it, you can just, you can understand what it probably is like. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden these flaws where you're like, why don't they ever change? They're so dumb around this. Like, it's ridiculous. You realize, oh, that's like me in this area. And all of a sudden, it, even yeah, the, the, it levels the playing field. It's, it's really good. I think mom and dad got a lot out of it too. I think they enjoyed it. Yeah, it, uh, it was they learned really a lot. fun. It was really fun. Yeah, I think they were believers by the end. They also, uh, they also definitely uh, dragged you into drinking more this week. <laughs> This is a like this is kind of a, a very inter interesting twist of fate like kind of yes. where you know when I was younger I'd sneak out of the house or like after dinner I'd go with friends to a party like I would get out of the house and I'd be drinking or yeah. whatever like and I couldn't do it with my parents. And now, like, I don't drink that much. You and barely drink. I barely drink ever, actually, except for when my parents are here. And then they are bringing in wine and, like, gin and, like, taking me down. And I'm trying to resist. So it's this kind of, like, funny twist uh, that's happened in my life where... Uh, I used to be the one doing yeah, that, and just, now I feel like my parents yeah, are bringing it's it like in you're on me. Go, you're working, and then your dad just sneaks in, and he's like, Alistair, would you like a gin and tonic? Uh, I have to say no, but okay, all right, all right. <laughs> I never saw that one coming when I was 16, I'll tell you that. <laughs> all right, well, what are we talking about today? So today, we're going to talk about culture shock. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about some of the ways it's happened for us. And um, 
I think this is going to get us into a more interesting kind of meta philosophical discussion about culture shock and culture too, and, and culture and some of its value, um, how we kind of interpret it and like how, what it's meant for us. Yeah. And you have a cool story to start us off. Yeah, I do. Uh, this happened actually when I went to Kathmandu for the first time. So I had been traveling for, I think, alone for like six or seven months. And I had been going, I started in West Europe and I had worked my way through East Europe. I mm. ended in uh, Georgia and uh, Armenia. And I went home back to California for Thanksgiving or something, just for a short time for some family stuff. And then I flew out to Kathmandu. <clears throat> that's a brutal flight. That's just yeah. I missed my like first the flight other actually. Side of the world. Yeah, I missed my first flight because mm. I apparently had to have a visa just to stop and change planes in China, which I didn't <laughs> know about. And it was only because it was in this one particular province. China. So, yeah, Wuhan or something. China. God damn it! You need a visa if you're going to drop. You're going to travel through Wuhan. So yeah. anyway, uh, that was a, a bit of a shock. But I ended up making it to Kathmandu, and man. The first day or two were brutal. It was like a 30-something hour flight. I had made a couple, like, switches oh, yeah. on the way. I think I left my Kindle on one of the planes. Oh, no. I had gotten, gotten sick, too, by the, at this point. Like, I was jet-lagged, so I was really tired. I was getting sick. And as soon as I landed, like, Kathmandu, the interesting thing, and I think the reason why a lot of culture shock stories happen here is because you're literally on the opposite side of the planet. But, like, culturally, you are also on the opposite side of the planet. Yeah. It is such a difference from America in particular. And I think this is why it has such a draw, is that it's such a different way of life. Yeah, I can't think of any two things more different than the Bay Area and Kathmandu. Yeah, I mean, there's, well, a, yeah. there's a bunch. The Bay Area and India, the Bay Area, and like, that yeah. part of Asia is just, it's just madness. Yeah. And... You drop down and you get into Kathmandu, which is this like these mushroom towers of like concrete buildings, you know, yeah. that go up forever and they're just building them up to the sky. Yeah. And it's crazy. There's motorcycles flying everywhere. There's incense, people praying in the street. You have the cows and you have monkeys and dogs. Yeah, dogs and everything's happening. Everything's happening and it's happening all on the street. And Later, I would learn that this was a watered-down version of India. Yeah. But, like, for me, this was really intense at the time. But anyone now knows, like, you go to Nepal when you're tired of India yeah. or you need a break. Or you go to Nepal to, like, warm up to the idea of going to India. <laughs> Those are a lot of the, It's a stepping stone. Yeah. Um, but it was super intense for me. And I was sick. I was jet-lagged. And I was feeling a bit homesick, too. Mm. I was there alone and I was a bit lost. And, and that was, like, December, too. I think you had left after Thanksgiving, and you were contemplating, yeah. like, that you were not going to be with your family for Christmas. Oh, definitely was wasn't like going to be with my time. family for Christmas. Yeah. So, And I'm, I I try to go get some money at the ATM. Like, And, of course, I'm walking around a lot trying to figure things out. And it's just, it's like my world's been turned upside down. Nothing mm -hmm. makes sense here anymore. Mm -hmm. The toilets don't even make sense anymore. They're just toilet. There are holes in the ground. And, <laughs> you know, and this is a language which you can't even start to understand if you're from yeah, the West, and yeah. it's not like Spanish or something yeah. like that. So, uh, and I, I went to, I was so, like, flipped upside down. I went to a bank because I needed to get some money, and I put my card in the ATM, and I realized the ATM had eaten my card. Ugh. And I was just like, oh, God, no. I think it was my only ATM card at the time or something. It was just like, this is going <laughs> to, this is a big problem. First day, I lose my ATM card. That's my yeah. way of getting cash. Yeah. And uh, Kathmandu doesn't exactly run on credit cards. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> no. And so, like, I'm trying to figure it out. And I go into the bank and, like, I make a big deal. And I'm, like, 
I'm trying to communicate to them. So like point out that like I didn't get my card and the, the machine ate yeah. it. And I'm sitting there for like an hour. They're taking out the back of the ATM to try to find the card. And they come back to me and they're like, there's no card in there. Oh, no. And I pull out my wallet. <laughs> and my card is back in my wallet. Oh, man. I never even no. looked. Oh. It's in my wallet where it should be. And I figure this out right in front of the bank representative that I just... Like, <laughs> And I haven't been treating very well because I've been super annoyed. And, like, they just undid the whole ATM. And now I realize my wallet or it's right where it should be. What a douchebag. And then just like, oh, I was so embarrassed. I, I just apologized and walked out. My face went red. And I was just like, man, just kill me. Kill me now. So, th- so this is the state I'm in. Like, and uh, I'm that messed up. And... I later on that I think that day I'm I'm walking I'm carrying my backpack through everywhere and I'm trying to find a hostel which made a lot more sense. Here's another thing that happens so often is like, you know, when you're arriving you have internet before you arrive and you're like, oh yeah, I'll figure out when I get there. Yeah. And you always underestimate how strange and different it's going to be and how critical it's going to be to have internet and how you're not going to have it. Like yeah. you just you forget like how difficult the world is without internet. And yeah. so you show up and like all of a sudden it's not easy and you can't check the internet because you don't have it anymore and all these things. And uh, so I go out to like the edge of this area and I'm walking through like back alley streets and it's crazy. There's monkeys, like people are are walking around giant prayer wheels and praying. And like you look into another house and there's a woman cooking over a little stove fire. You're walking down the street and there's just piles of trash burning and just smoke pluming into the air, right? Like, and then there's all the sounds. The buses are like multicolored rainbows. Like think of like uh, 60s acid buses. Oh yeah, they're insane. And and they have these crazy horns that are going like, Uh, they they have such great horns in in Nepal. Like we can't match It's chaos. For example, if you go to the main street, there's like one main street where you, you pick up vans. The vans don't even stop. They go slow. Someone's out hanging out one of the like doors like yeah. one arm on the door with a hand, a wad of cash in the other hand screaming out places they're going <laughs> and you have to run and jump in like that's how it goes and then it keeps going like yeah. it's madness it's just crazy and 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 if you want to even get to the van you probably had to dodge a bunch of cars to get across the street so this is all like what's going on and you're super jet lagged I'm super jet lagged I'm there. sick it's... I'm tired I'm starting to feel homesick I'm wondering why the hell I came this is crazy that's usually a classic you're feeling point. like really alone you know and you're just like oh why man this, this? this is nuts yeah. this place is crazy It's uh, and I'm walking down an alleyway trying to get to this hostel and like I'm feeling really bad and all of a sudden uh, behind me a little girl, probably like five, six, maybe seven, skips up to me and like without, I'm not even really paying attention, skips up and just grabs my hand and starts walking with me. And we just start walking down the street together. Like, no, she had no concern. It was completely innocent. No, like had no idea who I, like I am, I'm, you know, late 20s. And she just comes up. You'd never see that. Right yeah. in the U.S., like yeah. we teach our kids, definitely do not do that. Yeah, never. And and if you did see it, like that would be strange. Yeah. Right. It it meant a lot to me. It was like this moment of connection, mm-hmm. and it it was like really really soothing. And I don't know, it was it it helped a lot. Yeah. And like really kind of touched me. And I just walked down the street with her holding hands. We couldn't say anything, and I had no idea why she decided to do that. And then at the fork in the road later on. She let go and skipped down the street that way. And I went toward the hostel. 
But like it made all the difference mm. that day. Like I felt, you know, not alone anymore. And I had this like moment of human connection and all from this little girl, you know, yeah. who just didn't assume that I was some like out to get you stranger. Yeah. And it was a bigger moment of shock in a way where it's like, wow, that would just never happen in where I came from, yeah. you know? And I don't know, just the non-assuming way, the innocent way that she would come up and just hold a stranger's hand. It's just like, whoa. Yeah. What a way to see the world. And that was kind of amazing. And yeah. it really blew me away. That must have meant a lot. Like, man, those states when you're so when you're jet lagged and sick and in a in a place you ha you understand nothing. That's one of the things I love the most about Asia, and that's also one of the things I dislike the most is is the the human connections and just how normal it is to connect for real, you know, in ways that I feel in the West we just don't do anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's something you realize if you go to Asia and spend any time there. It's just how many boundaries and like barriers that we've built between yeah. having a real human connection or interaction in, in the West. Because in India or in, in Asia in general, like everything requires some sort of relationship or some sort of, uh, you have to kind of rub up against each other. You yeah. have to communicate with each other. If you're going to buy something, you're probably going to barter and, and all these things. There is much more human connection, and it's all just spilling out on the streets. The shop owner also probably lives in a shop. They eat there. People come. Like, families yeah. you know, know each other. Everything's happening there. And that is something that I felt really, really strongly when I went back to the West. It's like, oh, my God, there is so much space. We are mm. so avoidant. We do not want to have an interaction with anyone we don't want to have an interaction with. There's so much distance here. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, you can have, you can spend a whole day, you can go out shopping, you can go eat, you can go to the bank and you can interact with nobody other than routine interactions. Like, hi, how's your day? Great. Thanks. And then they give you the receipt and you walk out, but nothing real. Yeah. You can go a whole day without a real human connection. Yeah. I've had this experience like last year before our Yosemite retreat, I was the one that checked out of the Airbnb that we rented for the week, for the day before everyone left for Yosemite. And that day I checked out of a house that I rented. I took two cabs and then got on a bus. And all through that morning, I had no need for human interaction. I was just, you know, doing everything. I put the key in a, in a box and then I didn't need to talk to the owner. We never even saw her. Uh, and then I was able to rent two cars and been, I, I was driven by two human beings and I didn't say anything to them. And they didn't say anything to me because they knew where I was going and the payment was going to happen in some form of ethereal cloud way. And it's like, Some days I love that convenience and some, like I love that there's boundaries and barriers. India is a place that comes up a lot when I think about culture shock because you can never do something like that in India. It's an adventure. You step out your door every day and it is going to be an adventure and you're going to meet people and you're going to have to interact with the world. It's going to be like rough and tumble in a way. And in a, in a way that when you go to the U.S., it's really nice. You don't have to do that sometimes. Yes, yeah. Um, but It also infuses so much energy and so much life. Like every day yeah. you're alive. And if you get to the end of the day or if, you, if you're going to travel in India or something, it's a major accomplishment. Yeah. And it's a major adventure. Any day you walk out your door in India, 
you're going to see something new or something crazy. Like, you don't have to try very hard to have an adventure there. Yeah. It just happens. And, and that's one of the wonderful things about that country. My first day arriving in India, I had no concept of what India was like. And I definitely didn't go to India because I wanted to see India. I just went to India because my friend was there and that was my only time I could see him before he was going to go completely off grid. So I just, I just arrived. And I remember it was such a massive shock to my system in so many ways. Like as you described the chaos, the noise, the smells, every, I was assaulted on every level and nothing made sense. Nothing was familiar. Like literally very little. I, I could relate to almost nothing. You know, it's like even the food looks different. Like everything was unfamiliar. You have to figure everything out. And you have this moment where you're like, oh, my God, I'm a stranger in a strange land. And yeah. I don't know how anything works. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. It's terrifying. And I remember going back. I went, I went to India, came back to France for the holidays and then went back. And the going back, I took three different planes to get there. And I remember on the last plane I boarded, I remember looking like the plane took off and I looked outside my window and I was like, every plane I take, I go further away from things that I know. Why would I be doing this? I, I had like a panic attack on the flight of like, and it was too late to get off the flight. And I was already in India at that point, you know, so I was like, I'm already stuck. But it was just a terrifying thought of why would I be putting myself in such a place of stress? There's so much stress going on when you go to a culture you don't know. And planes, planes have multiplied this kind of culture shock because, you know, having traveled across uh, Europe from one side to the other, it's very different. Yeah. If you go from one side is very Western, the other side is very Middle Eastern. Yeah. Uh, and sort of Asian, mm -hmm. starts to get Asian. And But when you go country by country... And or when you go city by city, even right, like you notice the changes, and you can still get culture shock, no yeah. doubt. You can get culture shock anywhere. You can get in your own country, but uh, but you notice it's it's a gradient. It's gradual. It it starts to change, and you see the influence, and you see the exchange. It's it's like if you imagine uh, two rivers meeting, right? Yeah. Like, and and you can kind of see how one is influencing the color of the other, right? Yeah. And then at some point you end up in the other one. Well, that happens over and over and over yeah. again. But when you fly from somewhere like America all the way to India, you skip all that. And you just end up in a totally different ocean. Yeah. And it's totally different. And that is something that I... Yeah, I guess it could happen with ships too. Like when you're, when you're, that, that's another way it could happen, but it's definitely more likely to happen when you're flying and skipping a lot of the yeah. intermediary cultures like that. Yeah, that is, that is definitely something. That's something at some point when I was traveling, I remember thinking like, maybe I should just stop flying. Maybe I should just like overland everywhere. And it, that's just not how I can I don't think I could be able to do that I would I would probably die that's my that's my stress. kind of travel yeah well it yeah way. it's it's just it's just so much work man the visas you have to some borders are closed like there's a lot of things that go on there it's but. true but it's beautiful to see the way cultures influence each other yeah. and the way they change slowly like it's kind of like walking through a forest and you see the way the forest changes depending on if you're on a mountain slope or yeah. if you're if you're in a more clear area or next to a lake and you see the the ecology there's something similar that happens when you travel slowly through cultures yeah i i you get I to love know that. them in a better way yeah I, 
That's you get to true. understand them a little bit more. That's true. I, I think if I were to overland, I would have to have my own vehicle. I think the whole having to figure out the public transportation everywhere would just kill me. I would probably it's, die two countries into the overland. It's pretty trip. rough. And that's another way culture shock can show up is uh, I remember, for example, I can't remember if I was in Romania or Ukraine at this point, but I was in some like backwater village in one of those countries. And I think it might have been Ukraine. And uh, I was taking like a local bus. Yeah. I got on the bus because that's what I had to do. You know what? This was, I think this was the night after I had rented like an Airbnb in some like neighborhood in Ukraine. I couldn't get in. So I had to climb the fence. I like, I had to almost break into the house. Oh my God. Because I had nowhere else to stay. And I was in like this part of Ukraine where I was just like, I'm, there's no way I'm, I'm not staying in a house here. Yeah. And like I climbed the fence and like just like banged on the door until and, someone finally oh opened. Oh my God. Yeah. But <laughs> so that, I think that happened like the night before or something. Uh, so it was a bit wild, but I was on this bus and you get on the bus and you're like, okay, I need to go to this place. Great. And then the bus goes from the only place, you know, in this country, mm-hmm. you don't know what this place is you're going to. And it's got a weird name and you realize like, oh wait, this isn't like a bus where I'm from, where it's like, there's a nice little sign, like now stopping yeah. at Catterbury square yeah. or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> And there's not even, like, it doesn't even stop. If you don't tell them to stop, you don't even know what the stops are because they don't even stop. And you don't even know, you don't even know the rules, right? Because some countries, they will stop, some countries, they won't. Do you You push the button? Do you need to yell at the driver or, like, what happens? Like, do they stop or don't they stop? What is the bus etiquette? Yeah, so so a bus becomes terrifying because... Because you don't know how you're going to get there. You don't know where it is. You don't know, like, what to do. And if you miss it, now you're going to be totally lost because you just have this point in this place you're trying to get to, which is going to be maybe where you stay for the night or someone you're going to meet. But... If you miss that, then then you all your research is gone. Yeah. If you did any, yeah. uh, and and you're you're kind of and then it just makes it so much more complicated. I just I think like the constant having to figure out when you travel that is like that is part of the shock of the cultures are so different that you realize you know nothing. Back to my first day in India, I went to the train station. The train station was this horrible place with people sleeping on the floor dust everywhere toilets had shit everywhere on the wall like and you don't know I didn't know what was going on I was with a friend of mine who had been in India for a couple of months already and even with him kind of guiding me through the do's and don'ts and the how it goes I was completely lost I was completely lost and then I saw two guys walking down the the in front of me And they were holding hands. And I remember thinking like, oh, how nice. I didn't realize like homosexuality was okay in India. And my friend was like, no, no, it's not okay. It's still illegal and you can go to jail for it. They're just best buds. And I was like, what? That, what? This is probably the thing that stood up to me the most on that, on that day. That was just a reminder of everything I think I know means not the same thing here. You know, like it's just... The codes are completely different and I have to learn. It's like I have to learn a completely new language for behaving in the world. Same. I wore a tank top that day. Oh, big no-no if you're a woman in India, but I had no idea, you know, and it's like just constant trial and error. It's exhausting. It, it is, but I think there's a hack or there's something, there's a skill you learn, right? Like if you travel enough and this happens enough, it's always a shock to mm-hmm. some degree. And like if I were to go travel far away to a place I didn't know again, I'd still get shocked. I I think there's no way out of that. Like, 
it reveals assumptions you have about how the world works. Yeah. It reveals the things you think are capital T truths, mm-hmm. and it brings them down to that was your truth, or you thought that was truth, or that's a relative truth, yeah. right? And so, like, these are shocks. These are like, these are like big identity things, you know, or big like how the world works things. Yeah. A small thing can do that. A really small thing can do that. That just surprises you, and you just you think you know how something works, and it doesn't. And like, it's this humbling effect. It like really takes you down a notch. But I think there is a hack to this or there is a something you learn as a traveler, which is you learn how to ask for help. Mm. And you learn how to rely on the help and on the kindness of strangers. And that's actually a really good way to get around. And you know what? I think it's something I traveled to learn mm-hmm. because I was not good at asking for help. Yeah. And to, if you get out far enough, you have no chance if you don't. If You have to ask for help. Yeah. And if you're perhaps traveling like I was, maybe you're putting yourself in situations that are going to force you to ask for help. And these create connections and really, really touching connections in a way. I, I like this quote. I, I think it's by Pico Iyer, but I don't know. He says, we don't travel to move. We travel to be moved. Mm. And, and I think this is so true, right? Like we travel to be touched. I, and I, for at least for me, I think that's a lot of why I left is disconnection, alienation. And I think to some degree, whether I knew it or not, I was trying to find this other places with myself, but also with others. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in Armenia and I had been traveling for seven months on my own and, and going to some pretty wild places at this point. And I took a cab. I, I was actually en route. I was trying to get, th- I was going through the Armenian desert to get to uh, Nagorno-Karabakh on the other side, which is this kind of conflict zone with Azerbaijan, which I uh, wanted to hike in. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty stupid idea, but I did it, and it was fun. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, so I was going through Armenia, which has taken me a couple of days, uh, and I took a cab with a couple other people. You can share a cab there. And we you took can like share a, everything. Yeah, so, so we took like a four- or five-hour cab through the desert. And... The cab dropped me, and, and I, at this point, I was pretty comfortable traveling. So I just, a lot of times I didn't do research. I just ask on the way and, like, go, right? Yeah. It's a lot easier. If you don't have to do all that planning, and obviously locals know better. So if you get good at it and you get comfortable with just that, and I, I was walking around with the tent in my pack all the mm-hmm. time. So, like, I knew I could take care of myself. I had a cooking kit and a tent. So I just did that. Where I just I never knew where I was going to end up, and that can be a lot of fun. And anyway, this cab dropped me off in a desert town, in a pretty big, I would say, like somewhere between a town and a city in the mm-hmm. desert, mm-hmm. way out in the middle of nowhere. And this was not a place people were going, like like travelers, right? So they dropped me off, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll find a place. Well, nobody here spoke English oh, or yeah. even understood me. I was like with a group of men, sun's going down, and there's a big group of men, and they're trying to figure out what I'm here for. <laughs> You know, and they're trying to understand. And like, I'm just realizing like, oh God, I might've showed up to a place like there's no, you realize like some places you go like, okay, there's no tourist facilities here. You know, like, then that makes things a lot easier. But if that's not there, like things get a lot harder and no one understands me at all. And so I think like after half an hour, it it was a moment of like, oh man, I might've gone a little too far here. You know, like I'm out in the desert in Armenia somewhere in a town where no one even understands English. Oh, my God. And no one expects me to be here. What happened? Um, I think about after 45 minutes or something, they figured out that I probably needed a place to stay. And a couple of the guys took me to a place. uh, There was like a hostel. Yeah. 
But uh, you never would have guessed it was a hostel from the I street. I never would have found yeah, it. Yeah. I, you wouldn't have seen it. You wouldn't have gone down that street. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's no reason to. And so this is one of those times where it would have been helpful if I had maybe just done an internet search. <laughs> but I had no idea it was going to be there that yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I ended up there. And uh, there was, like, one other traveler who had been coming from Iran, you know. <laughs> Which is interesting because in these middle of nowhere places, you meet very interesting people that also want to be in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. I always found that very, very fun because uh, you have to have good reasons to be in the middle of nowhere sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like otherwise you wouldn't be there. And so the people you meet um, tend, and also you have a lot in common because you're you're both not supposed to be there. So like yeah. there can be a lot of camaraderie. But that was a moment. That was an oh shit moment. I was just like, Oh, maybe I went too far. I just, I just, honestly, that is one of the things I love the most about traveling by myself, even though like the stress on my body is just really, really intense and it drains me. But I just love, I just love how willing people are to help. I get this sense that, especially in the West, and I notice it even more so in the American culture, there's this constant terror of the other, right? Like it's like, the strangers are only here to hurt you and rob you and rape you or kill you or something like that. But there's rarely the space for, no, actually, most of the strangers are here and want to help or, you know, want Don't to... Don't talk to strangers. Yeah. What have we all been told from yeah. an early age? Yeah. Don't talk to strangers, yeah. right? And, and it's so... It's so interesting to to hold this truth that we've both... That we've all been told in one form or another... And then go to a place like India, where I saw men fighting on the platform of the train station to get in the train first, and then ending up sitting next to one another. And within the first minutes of sitting next to one another, sharing a chai, and then falling asleep on one another, two hours later, after talking their ears off, you know, and it's like, you would never see that. We just don't have that contact. And, and you know, you were saying like we've put all these boundaries and all these spaces. I think what shocks me the most about India is this absolute lack of, of physical space. There is not even your body is not even a boundary that is respected anymore. No, but because, it, because they don't care. Well, and it's like, well, that's their life too, right? Because yeah. there'll be 12 people like living in one room in yeah, India. Yeah. So like they just. They don't have that reality. It's never been true for them. And we're raised with each kid has to have a bedroom. You yeah. know, it's like such a different paradigm. I mean, if if you looked at the way a lot most Indians live, like where they live with family or families in a very small house, yeah, it's just inconceivable to think of a suburb in right? uh, California or Bay Area where like you have this massive house. I mean, I remember coming back from India to the U.S. and seeing the suburbs. It's like the streets. There's so much space on the streets. And then each house has a garden in the front and the back. And the house only fits four people. And they have two, sometimes three cars. And you and I like know. in India, like their minds would explode yeah. if they saw that. Yeah. Because it makes no sense to like their reality in, in a way. Yeah. A family of six people lives in a 20 meter square. It's like in a one bedroom place and everyone sleeps. Anywhere the there's place. a place to sleep on the ground, there will be a body. Yeah. In, in a most Indian household. That's true. And But there's something that happens with that, which is like there does seem to be, of course, you can't get away from it. And that's the maddening part of India is. Yeah. You, you can't, you really, there isn't any space. And for Westerners, I think that's one thing that's very difficult. Yeah. But it's also very, I don't know, refreshing in some ways because there's a community and there is, 
you know what? In some ways, it feels much safer. Of course, I'm not talking about being in the ghetto of India or anything. I'm talking yeah. about being in the, the cities. But that's another way culture shock happens, I think, is that you go with these expectations. People tell you, like, oh, watch out. Don't go to Ukraine. Oh, watch out. Don't go to this part of India. Oh, watch out. Whatever. Whatever yeah. country. Yeah. We just fill in the spots of the map that we haven't been to with all our fears, right? Mm -hmm. And if you go anywhere else, that's not, even France, right? Well, this is kind of funny because I was actually looking. We were coming to Guatemala and I was getting this. Oh, watch out. Don't go to Guatemala. Yeah. It's dangerous. Okay. Granted, there are parts that are dangerous and there are things you shouldn't be doing. But the those, they're like kind of common sense knowledge, and you know, you ask the locals, okay, where is yeah, it? Yeah, if you like, if you're traveling, I mean, the whole country can't be, you know, just just one cesspool of, of <laughs> robbers and murderers. But <laughs> but that's how it often sounds like when when you tell right? people. Yeah. And then I looked at a map, the U.S. advisory system, mm -hmm. and Guatemala was either I think Guatemala was on the same level as France. Yeah. And it's like, but no one tells me not to go to France. Yeah. It's, and 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 of course, there's the old argument. It's like, well. The most dangerous place to go might be the U.S., right? Like, as far as, like, what happens there, I mean, we've all heard stories, so we won't go there. But if you it, haven't listened to our episode, Welcome to L-Town, this is a good time yeah. to do it. Go back to Welcome to L-Town and tell me there's anywhere scarier than, like, <laughs> rural U.S., you know? Seriously, yeah, because seriously. everyone there's got guns. Yeah. Anyway, that's a different story, but... Uh, welcome to L-Town. Still one of my favorite episodes you ever had. I love it. So you, one of the things that gets you get shocked by is you go to these places that everyone tells you not to go. Mm -hmm. And you realize there's a bunch of really nice people here. And there's just a bunch of people like me living. Yeah. And like that we are mapping on a lot of fears, a lot of things. And we are imagining. It happens here in San Pedro in Guatemala, right? We live, we live in San Pedro. And um, there's this general... Like, basically, the story is stay stay in the cities, right? Because it's kind of a wild west out here. Yeah. There's not a lot of law enforcement. And people live in the jungle, mm -hmm. like around the other side of the volcano. We've heard all sorts of stories about how guerrilla ex-military, maybe they're funded by the government. They might just shoot at you. And just like, for no reason. Yeah, and there's a, like, 7 out of 10 chance you're going to get robbed if you take that one road or whatever. I'm not saying some of that's not true. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not dangerous. And there are a lot of robberies. So, like, I'm not going to go and test that. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to be an idiot about yeah. it. But I am saying that a lot of stories end up happening when no one goes there. Of course. Right, right? Like, because no one's there anymore, all of a sudden the stories get taller and taller and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, like, there's a fucking dinosaur on the other side of the volcano. Yeah. And that's why no one goes there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 and and Elmo. But this happens in other countries too, and you go there and you realize, wait, this is just other parts of the world, and you know what? They don't think very good about us. Yeah, and and like, and it turns out like that was a he said she said thing, or like it turns out our country is not telling the truth because most of us don't know anything about this place. Yeah, and it just turns out we're scared. That's where it turns out. And it turns out there's a lot of people here like us, and they're really amazing. I remember being in Poland. And I was taking, Poland's not a particularly, like, Poland is on the poorer side in Europe, right? Like, and there's a lot of people who are not doing very well in Poland. Mm -hmm. And I think I was in Krakow, which is one of the major cities. And I was taking uh, public transit. I think it was a trolley or something. And uh, I got on, jumped on the trolley, and then you pay for the tickets after, usually. Yeah. And I opened my wallet or whatever I had, and I realized I didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't pay for the trolley that's not left and that I'm on. And an old woman, clearly, like, you know, what I, I, I would assume is probably fairly poor by my standards. Yeah. And I'm 
by her standards, probably fairly rich. I'm a white traveler. Mm-hmm. So, like, no, no illusion there. Yeah. Notices I don't have money for the tram. And she comes up and she gives me the money. Ugh. And she was clearly did not have a lot of money. And, like, I was kind of stunned by, like, that act of generosity. And there's no way I was going to reject it. Mm-hmm. Right? But, like, because, first off, I need the money. But second off, like, that was a pretty major gift that she gave. Yeah. And But it was like, wow, that that probably meant so much more for you to give, at least on a material level, for me to receive. Right? And it was amazing. I was just, like, kind of stunned that she would do that. Yeah. Do you know what you're saying makes me think that... <sighs> I get this sense, in my culture at least, the gift giving is not something that is encouraged. Or, you know, you don't go up to strangers who seem to be in a pinch to give them a hand. Like, and I feel like I was raised in a pretty open mindset around this. And even from my standard, that's not something you do, right? If something's having an issue, if you see a stranger who's having a problem especially like, you know, not having enough money for the tram or something, you're not going to go up and offer your your help. It's like, it's like dangerous. You know, you never know what the stranger might do to you if you end up trying to help, right? And there's this inability that I feel we have in the West to receive random gifts or random acts of kindness. We do everything we can not to need them, Yeah, right? Yeah. But like in these parts of the world... Everyone needs help sometimes. And I feel like there does seem to be more of a flow of generosity or connection. And also just because it's required uh, in in those countries to get by in some ways. A lot of my experience is a lot of these people can't, they are dependent on each other. And that does create some bonds and, and, uh, Man, the most generous places in the world I've ever been are the poorest. Oh, Always. so much. Like I, some of the N- Nepali villages, yeah. some of the places in India, some of the places in Romania, the rural villages. These are the places where they give the most yeah. and where they're the most like in a way honored to have you there. Yeah. And it's hard to like kind of grapple with. Like it's like, what the fuck is going on? Like when we yeah. have so much yeah. in where I come from and then you come and you have you... The generosity and the kindness you receive from absolutely poor strangers in these places is just overflowing. It's a different kind of abundance. And you can sense it. You can sense that they are abundant in a way that so many of us are not in in the West. I think it, it, it seems to me that it all comes back and boils down to connection and a sense of community. Not the sense like we're not only... I'll be in community with this group of people because we go to the same church every Sunday and I'll help them out when they need it. But a sense of like larger community and connection of, hey, we all need a little help sometimes. I feel like we, as you said, we we do everything in our cultures to not need the help of other people. You know, it's like we will never, and I do the same, you know, it's like if I need something, I'm going to get it. Or I'm going to figure out, I don't want to go ask for help. But man, what a sad way to go through life. And and perhaps it's because everyone's poor. So everyone's struggling with the same kind of oppression or the same challenges. And so there's a sense of community. Whereas like in the U.S., you have a lot of stratification. And uh, so no one really identifies with anyone else as being in their class or in their group or whatever. Or like, you know, like there's a lot. I I don't know what it is, but it's a shock when you go to a lot of these places, especially the places you were told are going to be dangerous. Like when I went to a conflict zone in Nagorno-Karabakh, which 
you know, for sure, like everyone would have told me, don't go. And I was seeing tanks as I was rolling up and I was reading about snipers and landmines, of course, not in the places I was going, but you never really knew where they yeah. they were because you were, you're in an active battle zone. But man, some of the kindest people there. And, yeah. and you just realize, like, it helps you realize that it's like, okay, most people everywhere, there seems to be a general goodness. And yeah, okay, uh, I'm not being naive. There, there are crime in a lot of pla- every place, and yeah. you do need to have your head head up. But a lot of times, it's the political systems and, or the religious systems, whatever, the dictatorships on top. Yeah. It's actually a really small slice of people that we're thinking of as the nation. Mm-hmm. And really, okay, these are the people in power and control, but there's a massive amount of people underneath that are just trying to live their life. Yeah, this is something, this is something uh, we do often, or you do particularly, where you'll just like snap out of something you're doing that day and you'll just be like, man, there are millions of people right now in New Delhi living their life and like, you know, going about their life or like, you know, we go over places on a plane and you're like, wow, there's people having a life there, you know, like living and dying and having an entire lifetime that I'll never know anything about. And I feel like we underestimate that this is going on everywhere. Like yeah. most people it, are just trying to live their life. Each country is not like this acting agent that is like either like trying to ally with us or fight us. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like mostly it's just people underneath and they're trying to figure out a better way to live. And they yeah. And then there are like these governments on top, but like that's a really small subsection of what the world is. And I think we think of, you know, you look at the map and you look at all these countries, right? These arbitrary countries. Yeah. I mean, just go read about how Africa got sliced up to know how arbitrary Africa is, right? Yeah. And that's why Africa has a lot of problems is because it's totally fucked up for them. Like yeah. it has no, nothing to do with who actually lives there mm-hmm. or what the political arrangements were before white people showed up. Yeah. And, and you just realize like, we, we think of the world as these arbitrary countries with yeah. lines around them. We think of them as fucking people, yeah. basically. Yeah. They're not. They're a bunch of people and a bunch of cultures and all sorts of stuff. And I think there's something refreshing about that when yeah. you realize, like, okay, that's not just, like... And it's amazing. I remember when I walked into the London airport, right, and I'm in line at Customs, and I just look around, and there's so many people in line. Yeah. And they're so diverse. And it, like, blows your mind. You're just, like... How can all these people be having a human experience right now? And I know nothing about any of them. Yeah. It makes you so small. Yeah. And it makes you realize how big the world is, what it means to have, well, God, I can't imagine 7 billion people, but what it means even to have like a thousand people yeah, yeah, in the world, right? Number. Like, because these numbers just, once they get beyond a certain level, like they're just in, I think unimaginable. They've, they've proved that our brain can only hold oh, yeah. like so many connections. Only work up to like, several hundred or yeah. something like that. And I, I think all these things tend to humble us. And I think one of the great things about travel is it can really work on your ego because you realize how small you are, you realize how many people there are, how diverse things are. You realize your way of thinking is not a truth. Yeah. You realize all these assumptions you're making. You realize that these countries you're visiting that are, that you've been told are so poor and so destitute have things that you, the richest places in your country don't have, right? Like you realize that they have things that we that, that we're, we're like looking for and that it has yeah. nothing to do with with wealth in a material sense. Yeah. And you realize And you go and you have to ask for help and you have these brushes with other humans. And I think something that happens, something spiritual that happens, and I think this is a lot of the reason why I traveled, is you have 
a relationship or these interactions with the other, with the true other, with the, because in a way culture is us, right? We're programmed by our culture. It's our identity. It, it influences in major ways how we think, yeah. right? everything, right? Our culture is like our software for how we think and experience the world. It's our stories, it's our traditions, it's all these things, whatever they are, we've all grown up and been programmed by them, right? And this is one of the reasons why you can never really be a local anywhere else. Like you can never transplant yourself. You can, you can move to another culture, but you will never be a local there, even if you live there 20 years. Yeah, okay, you might like, maybe if you're in a cosmopolitan city like New York, where like everyone's like that, but if you go to a country, like, for example, I remember thinking this very strongly in Sri Lanka because there's some mm-hmm. people when we were living in Sri Lanka that were trying to do that. And they and had, like, a restaurant. They had a restaurant. They were established. But you're always going to be white. You're always going to be the the outsiders. Mm-hmm. You never get rid of that label. Yeah. And, and to some respect, I think it's true because you're always coming with a different culture and you're always going to filter everything through some of that early conditioning and programming. Carl Jung had kind of was a proponent of this idea of like, all of us need to explore, like it's kind of a part of our destiny, like, right? Like the answers for us lie within our culture. They lie within the stories we've been told. We have to reconcile that. We have to, and you can take other things, but you can't just transplant an Eastern philosophy into a Western life mm-hmm. and replace it because you are denying your past. Yeah. You're denying your history. And a lot of the uh, questions that come up need to somehow be related and answered within that culture, within what you were grown up with. We, I, I think there, there's something to this where it's like, okay, you can bring in Eastern philosophies to help you. Maybe like you can bring parts of it in, but sooner or later, and I felt this for myself, is like where you come from, it's a part of you in a way that you can't get rid of or shake or leave or escape. You, you do have to come to terms with it. So going back to this idea about like running into the other, like, right? Like it's really meeting the limit of ourselves and our identity and that place where it's truly other, where we don't understand it, the unknown. It's kind of this boundary between what's known, what we can comprehend, what we can see and what we don't know. And I, I think I recognized instinctually some importance in that because I always had a, I always wanted to go to India and I, I didn't know why. And people would ask me, and I was like, I'm not really sure why. I feel like I just need to see it. Mm. And I knew I, knew, I wanted to see like, the way they lived, but I also wanted to see the poverty and the difficulty of it. And I remember a, a couple instances where like that really hit. Uh, one of them being a train ride out of New Delhi, and I saw the slums, the tents, and the piles of like just tent after tent after tent, and people living there, and the piles of trash, and the dogs and the kids like foraging through the trash. Mm. And another time was when I was walking across the street. I think I was in Jaipur. And I turn, and as I'm walking across the street, just trying to figure my way across the street, I see a man cooking chapati, which is this like flatbread, on like a just a fold-out grill on the street. And next to him is a naked baby covered in filth sitting in the gutter that's probably like one year old. And like these moments broke my heart. And you can't, I can't forget them. And like going, it, they're there. And this is happening in the world. I feel yeah. like, I don't know, it's, it definitely, what do you do with that? Right. And I think that's important. That's a part of the human experience. And it's something we desperately try to insulate ourselves from and pretend like it isn't happening. But it has a major effect on us. And I feel like for me, it was important to see that and like experience it firsthand and just 
I wanted to like make it more real in a way that this is actually happening in the world. It's not happening through these cards I get in the mail or like documentary. It's like, I saw it. And, and it's heartbreaking because I also walked away from it. Like, what can you do? It's, it's on such a level you can't handle, right? Yeah. Well, I think, see, I think what you're saying is making me realize, like, my biggest experience of culture shock was probably coming back to my culture. And there's different things about that. But one that relates to what you just said is those things you're talking about are heartbreaking. And it's like... It's heartbreaking to imagine the level of poverty. It's heartbreaking to imagine what life must be like when you're struggling that much. But there is also something that I've seen in India and in Nepal that I've just really, I never see or so, so rarely in in our cultures of like, things are real. I can't explain it differently, but things feel real. There's a sense like people are connected to the cycle of life and death. People are connected to the fact that there are rich and there are poor. You know, like there's a sense of polarity. That and you go down in the street and you're going to see both. Yes, Literally, you're yes. going to see both. You're going and to see- they cohabitate. Like the rich man will pass by in front of that chapati cooking poor yeah. guy and give them money because that's also part of the, the culture. And they just get this sense that it's a lot more round and a lot more inclusive of all the different aspects of life where I feel like in in our culture we do so much to pretend like death isn't happening poor like that's we're gonna do everything we can to eradicate poverty or you know and it's like I don't know if we got this right we're just trying to get to to get only the the happiness the healthy the the rich and it's like Maybe that's not possible. You know, life is polarized and that's always the case. You need a plus and a minus to make a whole, right? It does seem like in that part of the world, death is embraced much more instead of run away from and ignored. I mean, I remember a a moment in India where, so I spent some time in Varanasi, which is the holy city on the, on the Ganges in the East. And it's like, it's like from 3000 years ago. It's, it's, it's an incredible place. Absolutely incredible. And people are living and dying on the streets and, I mean, I would take a boat onto the Ganges and there were these like waterlogged tree trunks that were floating down the Ganges and the Ganges is kind of filthy, but it's this holy, holy river. And it's like, what are those? And we'd get next to them. They were rotting cow carcasses mm-hmm. just floating down the Ganges. And then 10 yards away, I see people bathing in, in this holy river or mm-hmm. washing their clothes. And you're just like, what is going on? And later, you know, I would go to... There, they have funeral pyres. They burn their dead. Like, that is the biggest honor that could happen is you could be, you have your body taken to Varanasi, often carried to Varanasi from far away, and marched through the streets in a garb and with flowers and everything, and then burned with, with Hollywood. Yeah. And, like, people go to see these burnings. It's a big celebration of life and death. Like, yeah. they're celebrating it. And I remember I was fascinated by these, these burnings, and I'd go and watch because I'd never seen a body on fire before, and you... You can watch bodies burn. And it's like, I don't know. I've never seen that. And so I was like kind of morbidly drawn to this place. And I'd go at night and just stare and yeah. like watch all of it, the families and everything. And one time I was standing next to a body burning and like you can watch. And I'm talking to this boy. He's probably like late teens, early 20s. And we're just talking and we're watching a body burn and I can see the skull on fire at one point, you know, and you can see parts of the body fall off. It's just like, I've never seen anything like that. And it's, 
it's just, I don't know, it's, it's hard not to watch in a way. And I'm talking to him, we're having this conversation, and at some point he tells me, the body we're watching burn and his grandmother. Mm. And then we started having a conversation about his grandmother, and he told me some advice, you know, that she had given him and that had been effective in his life, something about never lying or something like that. Yeah. But, like, it was just, I was just shocked. It's like, where, where could you have that kind of, I don't know, that kind of experience yeah, anywhere else? This is something I think a lot about, just how much we're trying to compartmentalize and pretend like we can't get the bad, like, you know, that we that we're, we can just have the positive things. We can just be happy all the time and we can just be healthy all the time. And if we're not, then something's wrong. And it's it saddens me that we've forgotten to embrace the entirety of the human and the life experience. Like, life and death is around us all the time. And just... Contrasting with that story, we buried my grandfather over like about a year ago. He he was ninety two or ninety three, and he had a great life. He had a long and healthy life. And to be fairly honest, I went to visit him over the last few years, and every time I got the sense that he would like life to be over already. His his sweetheart passed away, like maybe. 15 years ago and he was feeling lonely and he didn't have a lot more to do on this earth and he just wanted to die and he was just living alone in this in this sterile place and in India you you die in the place you you sleep in you know you die surrounded by your family and we buried him and I was just like there was this sense of like solemnness and you want to respect death and stuff. Man, I wish we would have drums and like people were dancing and singing to celebrate the life of this patriarch man that that was that created so many of the lives that were present at his funeral. And instead, my cousin's wife at the end came up to us and came up to me and my cousins and said, oh, my condolences. And I know she meant well, and I know this is the way we deal with death in our culture, but I told her, like, thank you, but I'm feeling really happy today. My grandpa had a great life, and he lived a long and healthy life. Like, what are we going to do? Just keep him alive until he's 105 just to say we did it and he made it to that age? That's just... It bothers me and it boggles me. It boggles my mind that, that like, that there's such a disconnect and there's such, like, an antiseptic way of life in the West. And we're just always trying to keep death under control. And we're trying to be the master of death instead of just embracing it. And I'm going to take this further, but man, on a spiritual level, I think it's because we do things like that, that our planet is in the, is in the state that it is. If we were more accepting of, of the cycle of life and death and the cyclicality of life, we wouldn't be where we are. And I just feel like that's some of the things I've learned going to places where life is so vibrant and death is so present because it's magical. You don't try to be outside of that cycle as yeah, much. Or yeah. At least there is a sense that, that, you know, that you are a part of it. Yeah. And, and honestly, like coming back to, coming back to the West, coming to France and then going even further to, to the U.S., which is obviously a culture shock for me because it's not my culture. It's, it's a culture shock for me too. I had yeah, massive reverse culture shock coming back. Right. I mean, in France, I had the same. It's like I started noticing all these things that I never noticed, but on some level always knew were bothering me or were not aligned with my true nature or, you know, it happens as soon as for me when we, when we got back to Paris yeah. from Asia, 
and we'd spent a year in Asia. And one thing that happened was I remember getting to the Paris airport and then taking the train and it's the distance. It's the distance in every aspect of the uh, aspect of the word, the physical distance everyone gives each other and and in the space there mm-hmm. is like I'd look up and there'd be this massive roof that's like so far above and everything's echoing. It's the distance of the woman on the intercom that's telling you things like the emotion there's no emotional yeah. emotion in it. It was the distance of people who are in their own world because they have headphones on or they're watching something on their phone. Like we were so far away from everyone oh when we had come from Asia where like you were up in everyone's business and like oh, like you were always kind of like rubbing up against each other and there's so much emotion and there's so much feeling and everything. And then coming back here and it was like it was sterilized and it was distant and you could hardly reach another person. Like you can't even make eye contact with them. Yeah. And like everything echoed and like and then we were walking through the Paris airport and in all my travels, like once in a while, like you see this, but I was stunned because as we walk, you have military, military, not police, military in full body gear walking with assault rifles. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, nowhere else in the world have I seen that. Maybe in Sri Lanka, who just had a coup, like yeah. recently, I saw military holding like uh, automatic rifles. And, but that's about it. This is the thing, I think, that I noticed in the West. It's like, it's like, we've just been, we just don't see it. We just don't see some of these things. Like somehow it's more sophisticated or we've worked our way, like we've we've made it work in our mind where we just don't see it. And it's like, there are soldiers walking, and I know why, I'm not gonna say I don't, I know why, but it's just the shock of seeing it yeah, when yeah. I've traveled all across the world and haven't seen it anywhere. Yeah. And you see here in their full body armor and they're walking around with crazy weapons and there's lots of them, there are patrols of them. And it's just like, why is this happening here? Of all places. Like why? I just went to all sorts of places with instability and with like economic, you know, yeah. uh, disparity. And here in one of the richest places in Paris, there are military walking around with guns I haven't seen anywhere else in the world. What is going on? And, you know, similar things come to mind with this. And I, this is why I think it's so strange. It's so strange because we think we're beyond some of these problems or we think that it's very uncomfortable because if you haven't seen it for a while and you see it, I... You can rationally think, okay, well, it's why, this is why, da, 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 da. But when you just see it, there's a feeling to it. And yeah. you're like, what is going on? This is wrong. Yeah. Or this, yeah. this is weird. And why are we accepting this? Why are we allowing this? Why, how has it come to this? Yeah. Like, for example, when you're in Central America and uh, other places in the world too, but like, for example, I'm thinking of Costa Rica, like in downtown Costa Rica. You know the haves from the have-nots very quick. Because one, the have-nots are on the street. And two, the haves are behind barbed wire, high walls here in Guatemala too, but not as much as Costa Rica for what I saw. You have these walls, barbed wire, right? And then the have-nots are in little tin shanties or whatever. It's really obvious. Mm -hmm. Like you walk down the street and you see it and you see who has money and who doesn't because there are guards and all this stuff. And we think this is third world. And it's like, you know what? The same shit is going on in the U.S. We've just made it much more subtle. We've made these separations much more invisible. But they're, in a way, much harder to scale than a barbed wire fence. And I think we fool ourselves that all this same shit isn't there, that we're past it or that we've solved it. And it's like, no, it's actually just, it's just Hidden. hidden. It's just clothed. And this is what, it, what a little bit what drives me crazy uh, being in the West sometimes is the subtlety to it all, the way it's all camouflaged. Yeah. At least in other places in the world where it's like, 
A lot the, of times it's out in the open. And the way we can fool ourselves into thinking we've solved it, you know, because, and it's like, isn't that the epitome of privilege to think that we've solved the poverty or we've solved the violence problem? We just banished it from our life yeah, as much we as just, possible. We, just we put, put as many it, barriers as we yeah, can. Yeah, and so it's like, of course, from our suburbs or from our nice apartments or from our nice houses, we get the sense that it's only happening, you know, somewhere else and that we've solved it. And I think that's one of the difficulties of uh, kind of where I find myself now and where I found myself for the last couple of years and I think I, I think you can agree with this a little bit is I that can, yeah. this reverse culture shock that you have makes you kind of a stranger in your own homeland right yeah. like you come back and you don't feel at home there anymore and you and you realize all the things you couldn't see because you were so brainwashed right like you come back and you're no longer a dogmatic patriot I am a patriot still I, I don't know I wouldn't say patriot I don't like the word patriot particularly but I still, of course, I appreciate the country I came from. It's given me so much. Mm. But I'm also disillusioned in a lot of ways. And I see the ways that we desperately don't, like, we want to push it outside of our borders to the point where, like, our dialogue is about building a wall, right? Yeah. Like, and for many people, that's what we want to do. Like, this is the mentality. And whether you're up for the wall or not, I'm sure, you know, if you're an American, you have a lot of walls around you, yeah. whether they're the ones on the border or not. Yeah. And I come from this, but I don't know. You Now you start to, so in some ways you see it, like things have shifted, like some of the facade comes crumbling down and you realize, and, and then now it's like, I can't go back to that. I can't go back to like just accepting my culture because I grew yeah. up in it and not and not seeing outside its walls, right? Never stepping outside the city walls and seeing if there actually is a is a dinosaur on the other side of the volcano or not, right? Like I've gone. There is there isn't a dinosaur, but there are a lot of like poor people over there or something. Yeah. I it makes me think of um a Black Mirror episode where there's this military soldier and they wear these like tactical masks, like it's new technology, and they wear these masks to like see their enemy. And so they're yeah. fighting these monsters. They think they're fighting monsters. And and his mask malfunctions because he gets hit by one of these monsters. And the mask starts to malfunction. And at some point he takes it off and he realizes they're not fighting monsters. They're fighting super poor, desperate people that are just trying to live. Yeah. And that his government has actually brainwashed him into thinking they're monsters mm. and they're actually murdering innocent people and they're on the wrong side. And I, in some way, I think when we just dogmatically accept our culture, we fall into that same paradigm, right? We think we're doing good. We think we're fighting monsters, but we're not. They're just other people or whatever, right? And yeah. the trouble is now that you go back and you can't accept that and you start to feel a little alienated from your own culture and you start to feel very uncomfortable about parts of it. And I also feel like it's such an effort sometimes because the U.S. is so psychologically sophisticated it's so good at like you know hiding things or marketing and yeah. all these things in a way that like nepal and india are not right yeah. like it's very blatant there and you can see it but we've gone so good with it in america that you can get spun so yeah. fast or you can you know like all these the art of persuasion or of illusion and all those things are perfected in america yeah and then they are exported everywhere and and so i get this feeling when i go back to the to america is like as i'm trying to like kind of assimilate what I've learned and in a way I think develop my own culture and like be a bit more myself instead of American right like 
is that when I walk into America, like that stuff is still strong. It's kind of like walking into your parents' house when you're in your 20s or whatever, and you're trying to establish your life, right? Like if you were to live there, that's a hard place to establish an independent personality and yeah. an independent life from, right? Because it's just so overwhelming. Like you have all that history with your childhood. It just, it takes you over and it's really hard to fight, right? Like you end up acting a lot like you were when you were a child. Yeah. Well, I think the same thing happens to me when I go into America. I feel like I'm stepping into this stream, this raging river going downstream and trying to walk upstream. It's so hard. And I'm trying to like, I don't know, I'm trying to be myself to some extent. And it can be very easy to be swept up again in like, you know, a lot of this American culture and this, in this water that I didn't realize I was in swimming in before. I just thought, you know, it was like a fish in water and I didn't know there was water. And like, I've been thrown out of the water and now I, I realize that, okay, there's water here, yeah. but no one else sees it. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like the David Wallace metaphor. Yeah. I, my particular flavor of this is different, obviously, because I come from a different culture than you. Um, definitely was not a patriot ever because you're not we don't do that in France you actually the common foundational thing of our culture is disliking everything about our government and France do you do, you do a pledge of allegiance no in school no. so weird it's so weird if you think about it. That's so Pledge allegiance to the flag. <laughs> like this whole thing that, that we do in as France, kids. In France, I, like from my culture, I see that. I'm like, whoa, fucking brainwashing. Yeah, yeah. Wow, you know. And, and you might be listening to this like, you never, th maybe you never thought that was strange, but that's kind of. And like another thing I realized recently is you guys play your national anthem on every football game you're having in between the same country. What a waste of time. What? A, what? We play our, our national anthem when we're playing international games against other countries. But it's like there's a there's a lot of things like that. And funnily enough, it's, I it, think it that borders on dogmatism, right? It's just an unquestionable patriotism. America's great because I'm an American. If I'm you American. think about it in a grander like uh, America is great history but. point of view. It makes sense that this is happening because your culture is still so young and your your country is so big that this is one of the ways you create a sense of allegiance yeah, to yeah. and and it's like only 200 years old come on, that's like so so young you know and and so it, it's it makes a lot of sense that it's still happening but it, it what's funny for me is that going out of my culture and coming back has made me more appreciative of my culture than I was when I was there. Yes. Because the biggest thing you have to do in France to fit in the culture is just be upset at everything and <laughs> say that nothing's working, that the system's broken, even though those are people who go to see their doctor and hand off their green card and pay nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, how is that not working? Have you been somewhere else? I've been somewhere else. Let me tell you about it. So like there's a for my for my thing, it's been like actually making me more appreciative and I think it's good I think exposing ourselves to other culture makes us question what we've grown up accepting was the norm or the truth I will agree with the fact that right now I just feel like we're kind of in between two chairs and I think to some extent we probably always will be because we married someone from a, a different culture than us and like that we can create a culture together but like our cultures of origin like I can never fully bring you into mine and you can never fully bring me into yours. And that just will be the case, you know? And like, that's a little sad, but also I think it, it also fits with what we're trying to do and what we want to do, which is 
kind of questioning and finding more what values we want to operate from on a more personal point of view rather than ingesting the values that have been put on to us from a young age. So, yeah, that's... It's uh, <laughs> it's overwhelming work. <laughs> and thank you for listening. Thank you. <laughs> It's uh, it's a conversation we tried to have once already, and uh, it didn't work oh, out. I, I was hoping we weren't going to tell you. No, but I'm I'm a lot prouder of this one. So yeah, you're getting the better version of this conversation yes. for sure. <laughs> it was a fun ramble through uh, different areas and ideas. Yeah, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it inspires some people to go travel and maybe uh, loosen up that ego a little bit. Uh-huh. Go explore the strange. Yeah, definitely. The other. It's a spiritual experience, definitely. Yeah. If you'd like to support this podcast, there's a couple ways you can do it. Yes. First off, you can share this episode with a friend if you've enjoyed it, or share it on Instagram. Tag us at the Far Out Couple. Yeah. We'd love to see that. Start a start a conversation about it. Yep. Number two, you can leave a review, and we'll read it on a future episode of the podcast. Yeah. Leave a review on iTunes. Other platforms don't matter <laughs> <laughs> iTunes the most important yeah and number three <laughs> number three is we're over on Patreon and you can support us at a three dollar per month tier and you'll get all sorts of goodies that we put out every month we and put our heart we, and soul into them there's a lot of effort into them we think you'll get a lot of value out of it and yeah. it's all related to stuff we talk about on the podcast mm-hmm. there's it's even pa- some bonus content too yeah and it's patreon.com slash couple. You can uh, go check it out and see what's there. Patreon.com slash Couple. Alrighty. <laughs> see you next time. Doodles. Doodles. <laughs>